Fucking fiat, fucking fiat, fucking fiat, fucking, fucking fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <sighs> All right, cool. Let me do my little uh, intro that I usually do, and then we can rock and roll. That wasn't the intro? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I should, it is recorded, so I should save that. But that could be the blooper reel, I guess. But fuck, fiat. They got me right now. Rug pulled motherfuckers. Uh... <laughs> Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits. But before we actually get to the show, I wanted to remind you guys that Talking in Bits is completely 100% audience funded. What that basically means is, is that you will never have to sit through no ads while you're listening to Talking in Bits. And the only way we can continue to do that and have been able to do that is with contributions and donations with great listeners such as yourself. So in order to keep that spirit alive, there's a few ways that you can actually donate to the show. My favorite way is, Podcasting 2.0 apps. There's a bunch of them out there, but my two favorite are Fountain App and Breeze. And with these apps, it's basically like any other podcasting app. You can subscribe to Talking in Bits. Um, you can load up some sats into the wallet and you can set how many sats per minute you think Talking in Bits is worth or how much value you're receiving from Talking in Bits. You can do this from both of those apps. Another really cool feature in, the, in these apps, these Podcast 2.0 apps, is the Boost feature. And what the boost feature is, is basically you get to pick a certain amount of sets that you want to send in and you can embed a message inside of that transaction into the show. And what I'm going to do is week to week, the best ones that come in, I'm going to read them and give shout outs here live on the show. So that's another way that you can help keep this ad free um, and keep this content rolling. Uh, if you're not using the podcast 2.0 apps, then you can head on over to talkingandbits.com backslash donate. And there you'll find various links to be able to send in Lightning, to be able to send on-chain, and even a Paynim. So go check out the, the website. That's another way to contribute. And if you're listening to us on the legacy outlets like YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, then you could do the good old-fashioned leave a review, share, subscribe. All that stuff helps and helps us float up higher so more people can get this value and more people can get everything that we want to provide to our listeners. So once again, we appreciate you. The only reason we've been able to keep this up is because of y'all, and we want to keep that going for as long as we can. All right, without further ado, on to this week's episode. I also made the case for running Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. Scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply. By its design, the total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed 21 million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. Since the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can provide you with the information you need to succeed and persist. Back with episode 73, and I'm going to go ahead and argue that this is a year late here, good sir, but I got my good friend Eric Kaysen here. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. It is a pleasure to sit down with you today. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you for coming on. I say a year too late because um, that first week of Unchained, we didn't really spend talking about work. We spent talking about Bitcoin. Um, and uh, the show existed back then. Uh, we, were, we were working. We were training. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's true. I'm doxing myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, the thing is, is that like the show existed then. I was a little, it was a little bit young, so I wasn't as confident. So I'm thinking like, as you're talking, I'm like, I need to get Eric on the show. 
Uh, but my confidence wouldn't allow me to say, hey, Eric, you should come on the show. Mm. Well, here we are, fast forward a year later, and I finally got you on the show. So this conversation is long overdue. It's going to be a fascinating one. Um, before we get deeper, for the listeners, I just got rug pulled by the bank. We'll talk about that. Maybe, maybe not. Fuck Fiat. But, Eric, man, you're one of my favorite writers in the space, man. I think, you know, if I were to give a quick synopsis of why you're my favorite writer, I think a lot of people, when they write, they go directly into the obvious, which is Bitcoin, right? And they talk about, talk about that. I think you take it a step back and you go further back and you talk about cryptography and how cryptography actually is going to save the human race, is helping us every single day. And it's like a shield that'll defend us, which obviously leads into Bitcoin. But I love that you take the approach of the cypherpunk and going back a step. So before we get deeper into the conversation and into the philosophy of your writing and, and how you get your ideas and whatever we're going to talk about, um, let me know, because I never asked and let the listeners know, how did your journey start with Bitcoin? How did you get exposure to Bitcoin and then go down the rabbit hole? Uh, yeah, at the Occupy Wall Street protests, uh, like I had a random anarchist tell me about it. And I remember at the, like, that was like my first like hint. It's like, oh, that was interesting. Uh, and at the time I was in graduate school and I was actually going through uh, what I realized later was a hypomanic crisis where essentially I was in a manic state. And then when Occupy didn't work out, like I crashed into like a terrible depression. Um, like it was hard to get out of bed. Like I, I was so absolutely despondent. Uh, and like, and I knew the money was absolutely fucked and that I like, that was the key, but I hadn't connected that dot to Bitcoin. And so probably near the end of 2011, uh, I started kind of sleuthing around and I started reading about it. And I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. This is different. Um, and, and like, I, as I was kind of sleuthing, like stuff started to click and I, I had wrote about, uh, I had wrote about, uh, banking crises, crises, you know, and specifically the, the 1998 East Asian financial crisis. So I was exposed to kind of how the monetary system worked. Um, and when I could, when, when I saw that people were able to like buy drugs online with it and send it internationally without out being able to be flagged or anything, I was like, this is really weird. Like, how, how is this even possible? that somebody could do this. And so I started, started digging, started reading more about cryptography and kind of what Bitcoin was doing. And I was pretty fascinated. I was like, this is, this is interesting. So I kind of started, you know, my own journey. And then by, by mid 2012, I, I was pretty set. I was like, all right, like, this is it. So I started buying little bits here and there. Uh, it was cool. I'd like go down to Seven Eleven and like hang out with all the drug dealers and then like use the red <laughs> phone to like call, send my, my money gram to like Mount Cox. And just started kind of gathering up coins, um, continued doing research. And after my crushing depression, I, I had a couple of temp jobs. They all sucked and were terrible, but it gave me time to kind of sit around and read. Uh, and then I got a job at a bank, actually, like doing their tech support stuff. Um, and then that gave me a view in on the banking side, which was, you know, a corporate nightmare of, of dystopia. Uh, and again, still doing all my own work and reading and getting really interested and Face got started. So as soon as they started, I started harassing Brian, being like, "Yo, like, got anything I can do? I'd like, you know, I jump up and down, or the hand up fly, or whatever." I'm like, yeah, you're a weirdo. Don't. Um, <laughs> so they hired, you know, then they hired Olaf, um, and they were looking for some support management positions. I interviewed with them. They're like, "This isn't a fit." Uh, but then a few months later, Olaf called me up, kind of flipping out, and he was like, "Yo, we're like, we're like scaling super fast. We like need people immediately." And I was like, "Oh, cool!" Like. 
yeah, yeah. Like you want to like set up an interview? I'm totally done. He was like, oh no, like fuck that dude. You got the, the job. I'm like, send you, a, I'll, I'll send you a laptop as soon as I can. Like, bye. So can you start like tomorrow? And I was like, uh, yeah, I think so. And so I went back to the bank. Uh, they were actually interviewing me to promote me to like a management position at the bank. And they were like, we're going to do this whole tech thing and it's going to be the future. So I went in and I actually, I tried to like pitch the CEO of the bank on Bitcoin at the time in like 2000, I think it was 2013 at the time. Um, they're like totally uninterested. They're like, no, we want like iPads and all the branches for like people to, to be able to come. And I was like, oh, this is like the future of banking. Huh? They're like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh, here's my resignation. They're like, <laughs> what? I was like, yeah, I got this opportunity at a Bitcoin company. And they're like, a, a what company? And I was like, yeah, whatever. So yeah, then I joined yeah. Coinbase and I was, you know, the, the journey really kind of accelerated from there you know and and uh early coinbase was super super exciting and cool lots of anarchists super hardcore bitcoiners uh yeah and it it was you know quite a startup to be a part of and you know it all went south eventually but it was a great learning lesson yeah and then 2017 after the block size wars i realized that coinbase wasn't really where i fit in anymore and so i moved on started doing my own stuff uh started writing presenting my material and then uh, after the pandemic started, Tegu approached me to join Unchain, join them. Loved Unchain, you know, and it, the problem was I was just too busy kind of with my own stuff. And that's when you stepped in. So, Yeah, yeah, I, I think in that there's a lot there to, to unpack. Uh, but uh, listeners that hear you say Coinbase and Bitcoin company together in the same uh, sentence are probably cringing right now. Um, I actually remember when you were talking to me during that first week where you told me a story of where you remember literally the meeting where it all changed, right? Like where it was like Coinbase is doing this fantastic Bitcoin stuff and all that. And then that one meeting came in, shitcoin. Do you remember that conversation? Could you give us a little bit more about that turning uh, point for Coinbase? And I don't want to focus too much on Coinbase, by the way, but I, I found that fascinating. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact story because there was a number of them, but but more or less okay. like it, it became pretty clear like as Ethereum was developing and there's all these ICOs and stuff, people were really interested in it. And we started sort yeah. of pivoting in that direction. And then the real flashpoint was when Segwit 2 came up. It was clear that Coinbase was going to be part of the New York agreement. Internally, there was a bunch of us who were like, no, this is, nah, we're not interested. But, you know, yeah. essentially that initiated the block size wars. Uh, internally, it was a nightmare because we had to figure out how are we going to get BCH into accounts of different people because the way that we were doing internal accounting didn't make that easy. But long story short was as that all started to blow up, I was like, this I'm not interested in this, you know? And one of the main yeah. reasons was uh, like, it's hurt to see how poorly they've done around support because me and my boss, like we, we solved the support problem early 2014. Like we solved all of our tickets. We were ahead of everything, ha- had chat teams 24 seven. Like we felt great. And that's when Brian was like, all right, like fire half the team. And we we're like, what? And you're like, yeah, we got 18 <laughs> months of runway. Just fucking can them. And we're like, no, like we we're like, we did it. We did uh, it. And like, you know, that, that was pretty much most of my experience at Coinbase was, uh, we were, we were always seen as being beneath the rest of the company and that we weren't worth the same amount as engineers. So we couldn't, you know, even by the time I was leaving Coinbase, I still couldn't get engineering accountability to solve my bugs that, you know, we're losing lots and lots of money every week. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty painful process. So, uh, yeah, now, you know, they're this huge shitcoin nightmare that uh, it's pretty funny because Brian even tweeted like, 
I don't know, 2014 or 15, something about like, you know, uh, altcoins are noise. Like, let's just focus on Bitcoin. And <laughs> he clearly pivoted from that. So. Do would you? What's the philosophy? Because we see that a lot, right? Like a lot of these people that you know preach Bitcoin, and then eventually, do you think is literally just a fiat thing? Like it's just the amount of bags that are coming in that it's just hard to to pass away, or is it something deeper than that? And uh, those individuals, because I mean, you can name them. There's a ton of them that you know preach the Bitcoin, you know Satoshi's word, and then eventually just go, well, I changed my mind. Now it's this. Yeah, I you know like I don't even think for them it's about changing their mind. I think that there's. Uh, you know, there, there isn't sort of a schism between Bitcoin only and shitcoins. There can be Bitcoin and shitcoin can coexist. Uh, I don't even think they see it as shitcoin. They see it as Bitcoin is antiquated and can't do all this other fun stuff. And mm. for, for me, what's becoming more and more apparent is like Bitcoin is clearly a revolutionary anarchist tool made to divide the state from money. And all the shitcoining is about trying to create this kind of web three idea of integrating the state and panoptic technology into, you know, the internet directly. Uh, and it's pretty funny that as this happens, a lot of people don't sort of see that divide. And so I think what happened at Coinbase was it was just, there was a huge opportunity to make a ton of fiat money. And that's really kind of what the founders were interested in originally. So why not? Um, you know, and it's too bad. And I disagree with them. And that's why I left and continued to do my thing. And uh, at the end of the day, even though I'm not interested in shit coins, like I think uh, like they're serving a role in the market and that Bitcoin will beat them in the free market. And that's what it's done for the last 13 years. And that's what it'll continue to do. And it will always present itself as being a superior monetary form versus all those other things, you know? So if you want to go shitcoin gamble, that's fine, but I'm totally uninterested in it. And to me, like this is, this is the most important thing about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is a firm founding source of legitimacy that you can put your wealth into and know it's not going to screw you over like anything else. Uh, and again, it's not to say that you can't go speculate or that these other things might have innovation. It's that I'm totally uninterested in it because it's not about the money. It's about something else. So for me, that's where the, the line is pretty firmly divided. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's well said there. Cause uh, I, I think that's what it, I was actually having a conversation with the gentleman, the, the real estate agent that's actually selling my house earlier. And it was similar along that line, like where I, I, I kind of TLDR and told them like, look, you can keep having this conversation as if I'm an investor, but I'm not. I'm just not interested in that whatsoever. I'm interested in solving the bigger problems. I'm interested in the dynamic of separating money and state. And I don't think you're ever really going to understand that unless either you do as much research as I have, or if you just believe in that cause. And it just his eyes glazed over and he was just, oh, Bitcoin is going to go down to 10K. And I'm just like, this fucking guy doesn't understand what it is that, I, that I'm saying. Well, um, you know, if it goes to 10K, that's fine. Like I, yeah. I don't care about what the price is. I'm going to continue to acquire it because I understand these key metrics around it. And yeah. furthermore, everybody's so fucking zoomed in on everything. They, they, like, Look, if we went back four years and you told me that Bitcoin was at 10K, my head would explode and I'd be running around <laughs> with my hands up in the air because I'd think it was fantastic. You know, yeah. and, and that particularly when you look at the, the, the global scheme of things, like I cannot emphasize how fucked up money and finance is and how much all this Web3 shit is a, you know, a, a metastic tumor attached to that whole thing. And I think it's really important that people realize that like 
Bitcoin and shitcoins are fundamentally different for that reason of that there is a true political cause at the bottom of Bitcoin, whereas the thing at the bottom of shitcoins is about more fiat money. Like, that's it. It's about making yeah. more money. And they'll go, no, it's about innovating art or it's about innovating, you know, Web3 and more transact. It's all this superfluous language that's built around you want to make money. And again, there's nothing wrong with you wanting to make money. I'm uninterested in these investments because they have nothing to do with separating the state from money. And so yeah. that's really what it comes down to. And I, and I appreciate that this conversation is getting exacerbated more and more because of those differences that I think are really important that I think ultimately it is going to manifest itself as a, a new form of the political presenting itself, you know, and some Bitcoiners get inflamed when I say this, but I, I believe Bitcoin is the most political thing that exists because of how fucked the money is across the board, both in terms of the monetary system and the financialization. So, so I can't think about when I hear the word politics, I can't think of anything good. And when you I give me a little bit more on that, on what you mean, because when you when you say Bitcoin is political, I'm already thinking, please, no. But am I just yeah. wrong? Am I thinking? Uh, sort of. So, so one is, is first I want to point out that the words politics and political have distinct and fundamental differences in terms of their philosophy. Politics is right. party politics. It's all the bullshit inside of the system and the way that we're told by the gatekeepers, hey, if you jump through these hoops, if you cross these T's and I's, this is how you could change the system incrementally. That's politics. The right. political is the revolutionary apparatus that, you know, Vladimir Lenin hijacked and went, whoa, we can, we can straight up steal the state for ourselves. We can destroy the state. You know, same thing with what, what Hitler and the Nazis did. They said, hey, we can organize as this giant political apparatus that can take over the Weimar Republic and we can destroy it and replace it with our own thing. I'm not saying that it has that same sort of vehicle in terms of being fascist or communist, but in the same way that those things were out beyond the purview of the democratic or parliamentary state, so is Bitcoin, not because it's going to change the laws, but because it radically destroys the law. And so to me, this is what the political is about Bitcoin, is that it returns a form of being able to change our politics that we don't have access to in any way. There's no one we can vote for to change the Fed. There is no person we can elect that is going to cement our monetary system. And what's so important about this is that politics is the fundamental apparatus that's utilized to prevent the political from being able to happen. So that's why people are, well, if you want to create change, just vote. That's how you create change, <laughs> just vote. It's bullshit because I can't vote for how we get a stable money supply. And the most yeah. important thing is, even if we could, it's absolutely impossible. The state cannot exist unless it has fiat money. So there's never going to be a point where they're going to be like, hey, we found this great new form of money that like we can't control or manipulate or steal from you. Do you guys want it? Like, do you really think that the state is going to give that at any point in time to anybody? Absolutely not. And so, again, I understand that that upsets uh, Bitcoin because I feel the same way. Fuck politics. I hate politics. I don't want anything to do with politics. Right. And that's why I love that Bitcoin actually accesses the political for me because more than voting for anybody, knocking on doors or attending campaign rallies, me simply running my node and owning Bitcoin and educating people about that, that creates much more substantial 
change than anything inside of the political party apparatus can do. Um, and, and again, maybe this is a hill that I'm choosing to die on that's going to work out poorly. But I think it's really important that we understand that this apolitical nature of Bitcoin is actually distinctly political in a world where all money has been politicized by political parties in such a way that it goes to serve this infinite state that wants to inflate itself forever and it wants to give itself the permission and purview to do whatever it wants with money. Yeah, that's thanks for breaking that. That's, that's fascinating to break down. Now, my question is being right after that is so for the for, so the the politi- the political parties can't exist with with something as political as Bitcoin. So what do you think about the politicians that are actually now coming on board and trying to like uh, make new standards for Bitcoin? Are they just LARPing? I guess is yeah, what I'm absolutely. trying to get at. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're moving into a world, uh, I, mean, I was going to say if Bitcoin wins, but it will win, where political parties cease to exist and we all kind of revolve around the law of Bitcoin. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I, I think new political apparatuses are going to come up and that we're going to get something that's sort of like a digital liquid democracy that's ran through the Internet directly. And it sort of inverts the topology of how politics works today. And so yeah. I would love to see extremely strong and powerful city councils, county governments that uh, after the county governments, there's the state, which looks more like kind of the federal government today. And then hopefully on the larger level, the federal government itself is much more of a, a weak, sick man state that uh, r- really looks a lot more like what the federal government looked like in the 18th century than it does currently. Um, and furthermore, I, my great dream is that various states start adopting Bitcoin as their own monetary standard. And by I, and I'm, when I say states, I mean states within the United States framework. And that eventually we actually use an Article 5 clause of the Constitution in order to pass an amendment to the United States Constitution unilaterally outside of the purview of the president or Congress to ratify to the Constitution directly the ability to end the Fed and make Bitcoin the monetary standard for the United States. So Article 5 is a very peculiar and particular way to amend the United States Constitution that's never been done before. So it's actually yeah. theoretical. And it's the idea that if 35 state legislatures all pass the same amendment to the U.S. Constitution with the same language, that it unilaterally gets gets uh, ratified to the Constitution without the approval of Congress and without the approval of the president. Wow. Has, I mean, you said it's never happened before, but has it at least ever been exercised? It's gotten close before. And essentially what's happened is uh, there were two amendments. There was one to outlaw child labor and there was another. uh, I can't remember what it was exactly. But essentially, like after like 30 states ratified it, Congress flipped out and like immediately ratified that amendment on their own because they were very scared of what would happen. Because there's an idea of something called a runaway constitutional convention, whereby adding an amendment like in this way, that states are actually supposed to have a constitutional convention where in theory at that constitutional convention, those various individuals representing the states, who it's not even clear how that they put representatives in there, could actually rewrite the entirety of the constitution and then say, hey, this is now the constitution of the United States, which would cause a pretty dramatic constitutional crisis, which I would love to see. Because it's pretty clear <laughs> that these assholes in the federal government don't give any fucks whatsoever about the federal United States Constitution. And I right. think if we actually did something like this, not only could we renew the U.S. Constitution in such a way, 
that, that we could actually be this beacon of hope for the world, that the idea of being able to implement new forms of the political in the world could change pretty radically. And so, you know, it's, uh, it gives me a lot of hope to think about something like that happening. And even if it doesn't, you know, we're still organizing with Bitcoin and changing the world in the ways that we want to see it changed. And so the, the real question is, is how is this antiquated system going to die rather than when is it going to die? You know, I'm going to close this yeah. door. Sure. No, that's a fascinating question. So that, you can still hear me. All right. So that happens in the, um, that would be pretty, um, that only happens in unison, meaning you said 35 of the state's legislation. It would be pretty, I don't want to use the word worthless, but it would be pretty empty if it was one of those situations where like a Texas was to secede and just make a Bitcoin standard. That wouldn't be impactful at all because it's one state as opposed to the rest of the other. Um, so what you're getting at is, is that all these states, at least 35 of them should be able to combine together and make real impact as opposed to just one state making a stance. Yeah. And I mean, all of a sudden, like we have the 10th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that has been absolutely trampled and ignored by the federal government and absolutely fucked that. It, it is insane to me at how much federal oversight and overreach has happened because they just want to ignore the 10th Amendment because they just make up a bunch of bullshit. And to yeah. me, like this is what's so important is that like, look, uh, what's really important to me is understand like. Look, politics is this really nasty thing that none of us want to deal with because of how terrible it has been, how much overreach it's created, how, how much it has destroyed pretty much most of our lives in the hope to create yeah. anything new. That's why I want to access the political so much, because when we start to organize and say, fuck these people, they have no right to do anything with us. They have no right to steal our money. They have no right to do any other thing. And when we start organizing that on a larger and wider level and realizing that the solidarity of using Bitcoin is this very radical force. I think that we can start rolling this, you know, snowball that can get bigger and bigger and bigger up until the place that like we can actually become a political force that can overwhelm party politics in such a powerful and dramatic way that we can rewrite the constitution. We can create new and miraculous forms of not just democratic processes, but, but of, uh, you know, traditional Republican representation that, that could radically augment our reality in very positive ways through essentially recreating a new political apparatus that is more fitting and serving for our time. And I think that we are at that place, and I think Bitcoin can be the harbinger of that spear. I think Bitcoin is the only thing left in that, in that arena just because they've done, and I mean, they, the state has done such a fantastic job of pinning people against each other and every other social conversation that Bitcoin is the only one that is like, oh no, we stand together on this one as opposed to race and all this other bull crap that they've been able to manipulate. So yeah, that's the only spirit we got left. Um, So let's, why is, and this (laughs) this is a broad question, why is Bitcoin powerful enough to be able to do this? Well, a is it cryptography things. at its heart? <laughs> well, sort of, sort of. So I, I would say that like cryptography is kind of what holds its back foot on. But I actually think Bitcoin was the very first social contract that was built around cryptography and that utilizes cryptography directly. And it just so happens that within that first social contract, Satoshi not only presented his miraculous uh, discovery creation, depends on how you want to look at it, of what Bitcoin is, and presented that to the world in such a graceful and artful way that he was able to get everybody on board to actually make Bitcoin successful. 
And so now with the place with how many nodes there are, how big it is, how many people rely on it, how much energy is going into it, how high the hashing power is, how distributed the network is, there's no way that the nation state, any nation state could defeat it at this point in time. There might be some methods for them to compromise it or manipulate it. But at the end of the day, those are short-term things that it won't be able to overcome. And as we educate more and more people on how to run their node, you know, how to, how to use Bitcoin to sign uh, various protocol upgrades that are going to serve and help us, you know, similar to, to both SegWit and Taproot. I think that we're going to find and discover that Bitcoin really is the only option for us because of the way that it honors its supply schedule in a way that nothing else has ever done before. And that's really, really important because in our sort of post-nihilistic global capitalist world where money matters more than anything else, fine, let's make it about money. then. Let's make it about you not being able to control money. Let's make it about you not being able to manipulate money. Let's make it about you not being able to steal money from me because you don't like my politics or what I say. And I think that this is going to become this very powerful force in the 21st century that we're going to rally around so that, you know, even if someone in our government comes after you or me and we have to flee to somewhere like El Salvador, well, hell, when we touch down there, not only are we going to have a network of people that want to help us, but they're also going to realize, hey, what happened here is wrong. And I really want to emphasize more than like, as miraculous as Bitcoin is, it's much more important to focus on how fucked up fiat is. Like this, this is a system of slavery with extra steps. It is absolutely maniacal and screwed up that, you know, you're having this problem right now of your money <laughs> and your bank you can't access because of some reasons these people made up. You know, I'm like, I want to be clear. This is how this process always plays out. Is that like, oh yeah, like you got all these rights and laws and stuff. But the very moment that there is an emergency or a situation that they don't like, they can, they can say, oh, hey, this is a different situation. Can't have you saying what you want now. Can't have you, you know, whatever right you might think that you have, they can then put a limitation on it and say, well, the state of emergency means that, you know, you don't get to have a choice about your body anymore. The state of emergency means you can't hold your own banknotes anymore. The state of emergency means we got to print out $5 trillion. And a lot of my work goes into this is that like, it's actually about the fact that the state of the emergency can overcome anything and it can just become raw authoritarian decree that becomes the law, which in my opinion is, is really the place that we're in with money today, because why the fuck are these 12 extremely rich, well-connected people who all went to Ivy league schools together and share in the same groups of friends and family get to pat each other on the back and congratulate each other on how smart they are when they've absolutely fucked up our entire monetary system. Like, yeah. I can't believe that, that Powell gets to go in front of people and be like, gee, maybe, maybe we don't know as much as we know. After the motherfucker printed out trillions of dollars and handed it out to various people, and like, this is going to solve everything and it's not going to create inflation. And what's his punishment? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. You know? And, and like, yeah. the way that he has destroyed the lives of millions of Americans, the way that he has created an inflation that is squeezing the working class harder than anything that has ever happened before, that man needs to be flayed alive and he needs to be burned alive to make it a very clear statement that if you fuck with the money in such a way to destroy the wealth of tens of millions of Americans that you need to be punished. But guess what? We live in a time of absolute legalized lawlessness 
And the only thing that Jay Powell is going to get for this is a nice big fat promotion and a cushy seven figure job at a bank when he's done. How yeah. much absolute bullshit is that? How wrong is that? How immoral is that? It is disgusting yeah. and despicable that we are forced. And I want to be clear. We are forced to participate in this system. It is slavery. And let's just be open and honest about it. Now they have a system of debt slavery that they utilize the money to make sure that the wealthy stay rich and the poor stay poor while feeding us a totally different line and it's garbage and I'm sick and tired of it. And I think most other people are too. Yeah, indeed. Is, is this um, in a historical context, is this a blueprint that's being repeated or is this exclusive to our current times? It's Everything a blueprint that's being repeated, but it, it's, it, is, <laughs> it is so <laughs> much bigger and wider and global now. Uh, and I think what's really important is that it's now fused with fused up with the technological panopticon that is the internet and that like them trying to implement CBDCs and all of the other data that they have. Uh, this is a new and particular and very profound existential danger that I really want to emphasize that them deploying structures and systems like this have radical ramifications for the future of humanity because If we don't stop this, we will live in a world where it is a boot stamping, stomping on a human face forever. And I mean, like 10,000 years out, our children, our great, 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 great grandchildren will be living sure. in this terrifying nightmare where everything they do is monitored all the time. They have no agency or independence whatsoever. And they probably won't even be able to have forms of thought that are independent because of how powerful and pervasive this thing is if we don't stop it. Uh, how do we stop it? Bitcoin, I think is the main okay. one. And, you yeah. know, Bitcoin being the sort of uh, inductionary process, to me what Bitcoin does is it shows the power of cryptography and how we can rebuild the internet on top of cryptography on its back end. And I think we're starting to see that. And I think as all of these things develop and become more and more tense with each other, Uh, yeah. essentially we're going to build out this new encrypted self-sovereign independent internet that I think is also going to present itself with this new form of be political as well. Um, and what I hope to see is sort of a, a new form of sovereignty present itself in the world through the internet directly. Um, and I also think that like, we're talking about a multi-generational process, you know, like I, I hope that my great grandchildren We'll live in a world with this new encrypted form of internet that has radically reduced the power of the state and has helped lift the, you know, billions of people out of the fiat poverty that they've been forced into because of how screwed up money is. So what is it about cryptography inherently? Is it that it's always just pure truth or like because one would just say, oh, yeah, but cryptography is just code. Like, how does that really solve real world, you know, problems and, and all this stuff? And I'm sure you have an answer to that. But what is it about cryptography that can get us there? It's a tool of war. Mm, give me more on and, that. Yeah. And so what's so important about cryptography is that as a tool of war, it was developed under the explicit idea that you need to be able to communicate with somebody under duress and have that remain secret. So a great example is... Uh, you know, going back to the beginning of cryptography, one of the things that made the Spartans so successful is, at war is they were one of the first people to actually have rudimentary cryptography. They had something called a sky tail, which was a 
a stick that they would wrap a piece of leather around that essentially was a rudimentary form of encryption. And so now they could communicate with other commanders in the field and organize in a thoughtful way without their enemies being able to figure out what they're doing. So to be clear, we live in that same world where our enemies, i.e. the state, is monitoring everything that we do. And so by us being able to communicate secretly in such a way that we know they can't break their encryption, that's why if I do become a, you know, enemy of the state for my politics, I can leave this country and keep all my money right in here. Even if they capture me and start beating me with the monkey wrench, well, even though I got a lot of it in here, I don't got both of them in here. So I can give them, you know, one half of my key, but they need to get the second half in order to be able to actually move stuff. Furthermore, if I've been captured and they're beating me with a monkey wrench, you know, I have a particular system using multi-sig, which I I very much advocate for, that I have two other parties that know such a situation were to happen. They're supposed to go give all of my money to people that essentially are going to come find me and help liberate me for a very (laughs) steep price. Um, You know, at least that that's in theory how it would play out. But what's that, you know, this really comes headlong into what my work crypto sovereignty is about is that this is all about a historic context of the state giving itself total right and purview over the, over the lives of people and being able to utilize violence in order to extract wealth from them. And we have never in the history of humanity had an ability to be able to abscond with large amounts of wealth, you know, vis-a-vis the internet. You know, the, the idea of the internet itself is such a radical force that couldn't have even been considered a century ago that uh, I think even today with as much as we touch and utilize it, it is severely underappreciated for how much it changes the entirety of humanity. And I think that Bitcoin is really pushing the envelope forward on us, recognizing how powerful that is and how desperately we need to reorganize our forms of life around the internet, not just to create a better life for ourselves, but to liberate us from this nightmarish administrative state that has, you know, really made itself into a terrifying and tyrannical power. And to be clear, like I look like paying taxes and stuff sucks. Uh, That's not why I hate the state so much. I hate the state because they extrajudiciously kill children like almost daily. And to me, like that is a fucking crime against humanity and it is evil. It is fundamentally and distinctly evil works for the state and believes that you can justify that shit, go fuck yourself. There is never a reason that a child needs to be exploded because you think there's terrorists there. If you're that fucking scared of them, go get a gun and walk into that place yourself and shoot the terrorist in the head. Don't fucking blow up children for it. Yeah, but they're fucking chicken shit. So that, that we would have never get to that point. And even here, I mean, one would argue even uh, locally, right? Like this whole shit going around with uh, dumb pushing into being wrong and basically trying to vaccinate kids five and under, right? Like that's what the sure. fuck are you guys doing? Like, w- w- <laughs> well, the, this is like, cause a lot of people think abroad, in, you know, look at the fucking chicken shit police in Texas who, who literally prevented parents from saving their children to school because they're so fucking cowardly. They wouldn't go in there. I mean, like, yeah. I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills every day that like, this, <laughs> this is the world that we live in. Yeah. And that like, yeah. I like I'm the crazy revolutionary just because I want to give people fair fucking money that can't be stolen from them. Like Jesus yeah. Christ, how far we slid. It, it's, it, it's bananas. Yeah. It, it's, I guess to use the term it's clown world. It's fucking mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. 
Man. So yeah, so cryptography being able to keep even the 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 most precious of secrets under duress. Uh, I got a line here from you that I got from your writing. Uh, we start to see the real power of crypto is not of economics, but of war. And I think that's yep. what you were leading us in through that whole concept. Um, super powerful stuff, man. I love the way you frame these things, by the way, because, man, if we would have had this conversation before I talked to that real estate guy this morning, he would have been fucked. I would have had some <laughs> ammunition for his ass. Because <laughs> uh, well, I was just being general like separate money and state and all that. But it's like, you're right. It's like, this is just oppression. This is tyranny. And they have full throttle control. And now we actually have a weapon to be able to fight back. Yeah. And it, and it you know, to me, and this is kind of where my writings would get deeper to me, that like, and this is where it also becomes more philosophical that like, I believe that this tool is so important that like, it is literally messianic. That this is, this is the thing that can return people to a world where truth and meaning and goodness have a reality and that we all come back to the table and realize that utilizing violence as forms of organization, good for anybody, and that it is hurtful and that it has created very deep scars across the whole of humanity. And furthermore, that it has meshed in with this totalitarian corporate state. Like, there is a reason that Jeslene Maxwell hasn't given her list of all of the people that Jeffrey Epstein and his friends, you know, Bill Gates and, uh, you know, Bill Clinton and all these other child rapists when it's very obvious that's what they did. And yet somehow our government's like, Oh no, like Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> committed suicide. Gee, we can't figure it out. Like it's, it's wild, you know? And yeah. like it, and, and like one of the things that I, that kind of scares me about this is that, it, it, like if we like got our ancestors from Sparta 200 years ago and like, you know, didn't make their head explode immediately from how crazy everything was and like kind of gave them the lowdown, they'd be like, oh yeah, like kill these people. Like, yeah. like what are you guys doing? <laughs> They're like clearly evil. I'm like, yeah. don't you guys like have laws that like say when you do this stuff? And we're like, oh yeah, but like, those guys took over the law and we like have nothing to do. And they'd be like, oh, well, you know, like it's clear yeah. that they broke the law and the gods you know, dignify the law. So go ahead, like right. do what you need to. So here's a screw um, to their heart. <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, like one of the reasons why <laughs> I'm not just saying, Hey, let's go out and do it right now. I actually think violence is that key that sort of, uh, has ruined everything. And so as much as I would like to engage in that directly, I don't think that that is an actual salient point. Whereas with the internet now, we can actually document all this stuff directly. We can uh, make it very, we can make a very clear case for what's going on. And I think what's happening right now is uh, we're at a very, I, like, I think we're at the most important inflection point in all of human history. Cause like mm -hmm. there are two distinct ways that we go. We utilize the internet as this extremely powerful tool of freedom and liberation for all of humanity where we all get fair money. We can all access this thing. We can utilize um, a technique called surveillance. That's where like you use your own camera to record things that are going wrong and verify that for each other. And we utilize this as a deep tool of empowerment for everyone. Or we get a totalitarian state where everything is monitored. You own nothing and you'll be forced to be happy because you have to take pharmaceuticals every day. And if you don't, you'll be punished on the social credit score system and everything is monitored and it's a pretty shitty and miserable life, but you can't say that because if you do, you end up in the Google. Um, and this is our choice. Yeah. And I think that in this choice, we define the future of humanity forever.
And again, this is why Bitcoin is messianic because it gives us the potential for the lighter side of that to happen. Doesn't mean it will happen, but there's potential for it. And I think that it's very important to recognize this event and have it reverberate with us to realize that we have a money that no state can manipulate or control. And we haven't seen something like that really in, you know, you could argue 300 to 100 years, depending on who you're talking to and how you're kind of trying to define it. But it's very important to understand that modern mechanized warfare, which is uh, a very distinct and different kind of warfare from what we saw in the 18th century and before, all of that was developed off of fiat money. You can only have tanks of war, bombing campaigns, huge military industrial complex with a fiat monetary system you're not gonna be able to create war on the same scale or terror if you have a hard commodity money system. You can still do it, it's much harder and it has to be much more limited. And I think that that would break the back of all states that have these military industrial complexes at this point in time, if we were to return to a fair money standard. So it removes the, the monopoly on violence, 100%. Yep. And mm -hmm. from what you were saying um, just a few statements ago, um, that surveillance state of being able to document as opposed to us having to be violent, I think it's much more effective because of something you said earlier in the conversation. If we go violent, then it gives them an, uh, a reason to kind of uh, do the emergency situation thing where it's like, oh, well, look what happened. See, see what they're doing? As opposed to if we surveillance it and spread it out, it's more like, hey, here's the information for yourself. Here's the, the, the Assange, right? Like here's, here's all, the, all the information you need to decide for yourself as opposed to taking their word that we're just violent individuals. Uh, sure. Yeah, man. That. And I would point out, you know, like the, relating it back to this idea of war, like the real development that Satoshi gave us was the yeah. Nakamoto Consensus, which in the Nakamoto Consensus is about solving the Byzantine general's problem, which is specifically the idea of that, like we want to siege a city and we want to take that city over. And we know that we have a majority of people on our side and that we can win that battle. But we have no idea how to tell the difference between who is an enemy and who is a friend. Mm -hmm. And so this gives us a way to organize in a way that allows for us to say, hey, we can figure out who the enemies are and who the friends are. And we can utilize that to attack it. And to be clear, you know, here in the United States, like private gun ownership versus law enforcement gun ownership is like 400 to one or something. And again, yeah. this doesn't mean arm up and go kill people, but it's very important to be able to maintain self-defense in the face of, you know, radical violent force. Because look, if somebody wants to shoot me, I want to be very clear. You're going to get shot too. You know, yeah. because as much as I want to represent nonviolence, if you aggress against me, you have initiated that. And I have a right to defend myself and my family, you know? And so when I talk about violence, I want to be very clear. Political violence has no place whatsoever for any of us. However, right. defending oneself when violence is coming at oneself, totally different story, absolutely accessible and necessary. Um, you know, and I, I, I think it's really important, again, kind of going back to this idea that Bitcoin is actually political, is being mature enough to say, look, like the A politics that it represents is political because of how radically it changes the system for everyone. And it does it without us going and voting for a bunch of shitheads that are going to go screwed up for us. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't be cussing as much. Man. I should. No, nah, no, nah, I love, I love the rawness. 
Nah, I think I actually I got like a, a boost from one of the listeners last week where he's like, hey, I don't cuss on my podcast, but when I hear yours, goosebumps. Like the cussing is just energy. So I love it. Don't, don't filter yourself for me, please. Um, I, I want to. Sh- all right. So we talk about how it can, you know, Bitcoin can systematically change systems. Um, I've been fascinated lately how it can change. It's changed my life, the individual, um, but also how it also has this, you know, back to Messianic, it has like this religious undertone, Bitcoin, uh, and I'm agnostic. So to me, it's like, this is the closest that I've ever been to that, like, I guess for easier term, religious body. All right. Um, I'm trying to wrap my head around how Bitcoin changes the individual. I mean, I know we went around how it changes the state and, and, and the world. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, Bitcoin being religion and how it changes the individual? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is sort of where a lot of my philosophical work is focused right now, is that, okay. uh, first of all, like, I think Bitcoin is an ontological object, meaning that ontology, meaning questions about the nature and existence of being. Who am I? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human in this world? I think those questions in light of Bitcoin change it. And I think that that is a very, very radical function in you know, what I call our nihilistic world, a world where truth no longer has any meaning, that there are no longer values, there is no good and evil. That's part of why there's all this crazy fucked up nonsense going on, you know, like take your pick of any of the things. <laughs> and so I think that when you realize that there's this new form of money it has a fixed supply of 21 million. If you are securing it correctly with your private key, nobody can steal it from you. And then if you're using something like multi, a multi-sig scheme, people can't even violently extract it from you. I think those questions in light of the world that we live in, it starts to reflect on us in a very powerful way because it opens us up to a totally new possibility in the world. But even more than that, I think, being able to reflect on the question, well, why is it that this, you know, Bitcoin being this object that all it's doing is telling the truth. It's just keeping a ledger of accounting and it's not lying about it. Why is that so powerful? Why is it so important? And I think that we start to realize that truth actually does have meaning and that it is something valuable. And when you post that up against a nihilistic world, well, there is no point in anything. It is all pointless. It is all subjective this breaks that viewpoint in light of it. And you have to go, whoa, hang on, wait a minute. Actually, maybe truth does matter. Maybe it is something that, that goes beyond just individual subjectivity. And when you see other people getting that as well, I think we start to experience a fusion of horizons where not only can I see this radically new world being presented, but you see it as well. And now that there's two of us getting this, we inflect back on each other and go, whoa, are you seeing this? And you go, yeah, I'm seeing this. It's crazy. And you go, whoa, look, how about you? And they're like, yeah. You know? And even more incredible is that in the way that this speaks to each of us, we all kind of bring our own thing to the table being like, well, you know, look at how this relates back to, you know, uh, regenerative agriculture. Look at how this relates back to energetic body work or whatever else. And I think that it's really powerful because in this world that's so meaningless, to find something of meaning once again it is the most powerful and important discovery. And for me, with the work that I've been doing reading Heidegger's philosophy, I actually think that this is transforming our being in that we're realizing that we can actually demand of ourselves to rise to the occasion to change the world in a powerful and important way. And that is actually 
the most true and important aspect of who you are. And so an example for me is, is that without Bitcoin, I, I can't know who I am. I am. I am more me than I have ever been because of my experiences through Bitcoin. And so when I look at who I was in 2010, I can say that that was old Eric. That, that, that's somebody I'm not actually related to anymore. I don't even see that as being Eric. This, like this is the realist Eric. And so I think a lot of people have a pretty similar experience. Um, and also truth be told, like, what, why is it audacious for us to call this a religion? Why is it over the top? And I only think that in this post nihilistic world where, uh, you know, like so most people would really be up in arms and outraged that like, how dare you talk about this piece of technology being God? Whereas people are like, yeah, that's kind of weird, but whatever. And that's a really important feature because now with us being far enough away from that, we can actually start to recover these things. And to be clear, like religion was a huge and the most important part of the human experience for most of human existence. And so the fact that we live in this world where, you know, like, I always find it really funny that there are these people who are like, oh, God, <laughs> like, the idea of, like, morals and ethics. It's like, do you really think that, like, all of the prior generations before you are just, like, stupid buffoons? Like, do you, do you, <laughs> you know, I'm like, it reminds me of the meme where, like, the guy looks at the monkey and he's like, you're a stupid monkey. And the monkey's like, you pay 40% of your wealth to an entity that hates you. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh shit. You know, I'm like, let's be clear. Like, uh, you know, like, were they stupid for believing in a higher power or are we stupid for not believing in a higher power? And I think that that's a pretty important question. Not because, you know, to be inflammatory with any of these religious ideas, but maybe there's something there that they had that was important that because we live in a world that tells us it wasn't, that we might want to look at it a little harder. Yeah, no, and does does that inherently like if you're you know if you're feeling all these effects and you're going through this you know that journey that you said where old Eric and now you're new Eric, does that automatically put you in the category of Bitcoin maximalist? And how do you feel about that term in general? Uh, it's a weird term because like I don't I don't know what it means. Um, yeah. you know, a lot like of different things. Yeah, does it like mean Bitcoin only? Like, does that yeah. mean? Like I can't use lightning. Does it mean uh, like if I have invested in things and I come back from it that, you know, like that I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. Like it, it's an inflammatory term that I think very much is like the way that people use the rhetoric of communism. Like it's this sort of ghost that doesn't actually exist. Um, you know, like with the recent debacle that, that happened with Nick and people, uh, like I think Nick made a great point in that like, you know, people can be over the top and inflammatory and not, necessarily appreciate not only the work that he's done, but that like, I want to be clear, like Nick is a venture capitalist. Like he, like, that's what he does is he invests in companies to make more money. Like that is an inherently fiat thing. You know, like, I don't, I don't think we should look at that and fault him for it. Um, and with that being said, like, again, I'm not interested in that stuff. I'm not a venture capitalist. I'm not here to try to make more money for myself. I'm only interested in changing the monetary system. You know, uh, me and him, have, you know, we've had drinks before and we've had great conversations. He was one of the first people to really promote some of my stuff from crypto sovereignty. Um, gotcha. And so it, if we're to talk about Bitcoin maximalism, like I think it's really important to say, look, Bitcoin is fundamentally and distinctly different from all of the shit coins and other things that are going on. 
doesn't mean that those things might not have value in their own ways. I'm just totally uninterested in it because it doesn't have the same mission that I am committed to. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think a lot of people do think, you know, when they get into maximalist mode, which to me, to go clear my definition of what it is, is, is the, the way Bitcoin has changed my life. I'm a maximalist because of those things that I've experienced through Bitcoin. But to, for me to be naive, like most of these Twitter nims are, to think that other things don't exist outside of Bitcoin is just insane. It, it just doesn't make any sense. And like you've been saying through this whole conversation, doesn't mean you need to be interested in them, but they are fucking happening. They, they are a thing. And that venture capitalism is a role and a job that he needs to do very well. <laughs> so well, I wasn't. What, what I also there, think but... is interesting is that like it, this sort of temptation to go go try to like make more money. I think is a really important thing because look, like you have perfect fucking money. Like if, yeah. if you have a normal job and you can save and your cash flow positive, like fucking problem solved. You know, like you'll have yeah. more than enough wealth for yourself within a decade. If you want to fuck around with this stuff and play the buying and selling and trading game, like that's going to get up in your head. You know, I'm like <laughs> now you have wasted 99% of your intellectual energy trying to figure out if something's going to go fucking up or down or that if this thing's right or not, or if this stupid piece of internet monkey art is going to be worth something. Like you've wasted shitloads of time and energy when specifically if you're not a, an investor who knows and understands all these things, you're probably going to fuck yourself up pretty bad. Yeah. So how about instead you work at your job, you know, you can work your nine to five job, get your paycheck, take the 10% that you set aside for savings, put that in Bitcoin, do it as daily cost, you know, dollar cost averaging so that, you know, you're getting the ups and the downs. It, like that's like a solid plan and that's yes. going to work really well. Um, and like, you don't have to pay attention to the price. You don't have to pay attention to what's going on with shitcoin land or hash power or any of this stuff. And to me, like, separating those two out from each other is really important because uh, like, if you want to go play the, the, you know, we game of invest in whatever crap you think is going to go up or down, have fun. I hope that you don't lose everything. You probably will. Um, and that's kind of where I want to leave it at. And, and, and similar to you, you know, like Bitcoin changed me because it gave me all of these opportunities and that it's allowed for me to think deeper about these topics, to find other people that think deeper about these topics, to find other people that have shared value sets as me. Those are people I want to vibe with and that I want to share. You know, they tend to be anarchists or, or at least libertarians. Whereas a lot of other people I talk in the system have different political beliefs and think that this shit can get integrated with the state and that it'll play nice. Again, uninterested in that stuff. I'm interested in separating money and state. And as far as I can tell, Bitcoin is really the only project out there that is committed to it and has a large pluralism of people. And to be clear, it, you know, it's winning and it continues to win and that there's lots of people in development on board. So even if there is some sideline shipcoin project that might have other features or promises, it's just those features or promises. Bitcoin's doing it right now. Yeah, I can't count the amount of uh, uh, one Monero I get in my DMs all the time. And it's like, I <laughs> Monero does privacy better. I, 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 just to echo what you've been saying, I just don't care. <laughs> well, and, and, just, and so something about Monero that I think is important is, look, I think there's probably a role in this new world we're going into for private money. Is private, unseeable money the monetary system that I want to run the world? 
absolutely fucking not. Because yeah. when people pay taxes or when states are doing things or whenever we need a transparent public ledger, I want to fucking see what's on. And that's right. a really important feature that I think Monero maximalists don't get is that like, do you really want to be paying the state or any other entity in these totally opaque ways that you can't follow or trace? I mean, like it would really suck to pay somebody in Monero and you know, like not get your product and be like, Hey man, I like paid you. And then be like, what do you need? And he'd be like, well, they, oh shit. They're like, that transaction never existed. <laughs> so they're, they're, uh, they're um, replacing uh, an actual bug. If you ask me when it, when it comes to transacting money for a feature. <laughs> well, yeah, and so like a, a public ledger is important for that very reason. You know, like, yeah. I thought it was great when uh, the chain, the, the anal, analysis guys were at uh <laughs> congress and you know she was like hey like somebody tried to launder you know a billion dollars like 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 they can do that right and they were just like no like i can <laughs> totally see that happening and she was like oh dang you know so like flat argument yeah you know, and again like i want to hate on the monero guys like go to your project have fun with it i i hope that you find a role i'm happy that you guys are, are making drug markets more secure but like Remember, we need public money for public things. And particularly if we want this to actually be a global monetary standard, super important for that to be public. You know, like, I would be pretty upset if uh, the president of El Salvador was like buying shitloads of Monero because like, how are we going to track any of that? How do we know? What do you, you know, yada, yada, yada. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. So if you were to put on, um, I guess, your time traveler's hat, your magical hat, you zoom out 10 years. Where's Bitcoin at and what's the current state of things? So I've like Rip Van Winkled it and we're like in like 2032 now. Basically. <laughs> okay. Um, well, like I, I hope I have a role in the parliament of Cascadia, uh, you know, like <laughs> after, after the second block wars and there was the chain split that happened between KYC Bitcoin and non-KYC Bitcoin, uh, we introduced new BIP protocols to actually attack the KYC coin, we were quite successful at it. We 51% attacked it to the ground. This caused for economic crises around the world. So, uh, you know, there are a number of Citadel states, Cascadia being one of them on the United States West Coast. Uh, st stuff's looking pretty good for us. Things are really weird because our, our currency is so deflationary, you know, and, and like while we're able to interact quite well, we're having a lot of problems uh, with keeping the borders secure and immigration, you know. All these fucking Californians are trying to come in to flee from from communist California. Uh, Gavin Newsom, you know, he's been he's gotten his fifth elected term, which it's very clear that you know <laughs> they're they're not equal anymore. Uh, yeah, shit's crazy. Um, You've thought I about this hard. That, <laughs> you know, I think that yeah, I have like I have a. a a skeleton of like a graphic novel or, or fiction novel that like gets pretty crazy. It like ends with like space war and us like fleeing tons and bars at like various <laughs> state capitals in order to like destroy their mining facilities. Anyways, um, <laughs> 2032, 10 years. Uh, I think there's still an exchange price that is fixed directly that like, you know, so, uh, there's a peg to it, to the U S dollar. Uh, the United States is trying to defend that peg. It devalues relatively frequently. Like that's sort of, that's what Fed meetings has now become is about like the change of what the peg is and like how that augments things. Uh, I think, you know, El Salvador is going to become, uh, 
What's the word I want? Uh, are you familiar with the term Asian tiger referring to, to places like Hong Kong or Singapore in the way that in the, yeah. Okay. So, so they were called Asian tigers because of the way that they had specific economies that were very, that were developing and growing very quick through from the seventies, eighties and nineties. Um, and so I think El Salvador will do something similar. I think it'll continue to have, you know, like 10% GDP growth and that it will become a very powerful force in Central America. Uh, I think that they're going to end the Monroe Doctrine. The United States is going to continue to slide backwards. Perhaps there'll be a dissolution of the United States. Because um, to be clear, like shit in this country is really, really fucked up in a way that we've never been before. Um, and it's, and it's going to radicalize quite quickly under conditions of inflation. Because to be clear, that's where the Nazis were really successful in Weimar Germany. It wasn't just like, you know, like, oh, like these, these Nazi guys are like saying cool stuff. No, like there was like an inflationary crisis that destroyed the middle class when the solutions were Nazism or communism, you know? And that that's kind of going to be a similar vibe that we're going to go through here. Uh, and it's pretty scary because fuck both fascism and fuck communism. They're both yeah. shitty and lame systems that hurt lots of people. Uh, and with that being said, I'll plug anarcho-syndicalism. I, I hope that that'll be uh, the method we'll kind of utilize to create a new third way. The, the, the term uh, I've never heard of, anarchalism? Is that what you said? What's that? A- anarcho-syndicalism. Okay, what does that hit me? Uh, essentially, it's anarchist method of organizing under syndicalism, which are essentially these sort of like trade works, trade groups or councils. Um, and it was actually like a very powerful organizational force, like at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, and even here in the United States, the international workers of the world had like a very powerful anarcho-syndicalist union. These are also the dudes that fought, uh, Franco's fascists in Spain and like were quite successful for three years, but because the Nazis supported Franco's regime during the Spanish civil war, they weren't successful in continuing their state. Um, But anyways, anarchism has a lot of pretty great political philosophies and organizational forms that I think serve our digital age quite well. And so I'm hoping that as more of what's going on in the world develops, more people will take anarchism as a serious political praxis as opposed to this idea that it's just like willy-nilly chaos. So your 10-year outlook is not really looking better. Is that that safe to say? It kind of just seems like skating on thin ice getting worse. (laughs) Look, Jose, like I, I know things are bad right now, but I yeah. just want you to know they're going to get a lot fucking worse. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got that vibe, to be honest. Not before even talking to you, of course, but like, I don't know how we yeah, got I mean, out of any of this shit. Look, like part, part, of, part of when you came on, I had just moved out to like a pretty rural area. Like I got an orchard and fruit trees and like, I, I'm kind of setting up for this because like, I think stuff is going to get hard. You know, like I I think people are really going to struggle to get food. I really think people, uh, you know, like I think violent crime is going to increase pretty dramatically. I think we're going to see a lot more um, violent protests in cities. I think we're going to see rioting for people to steal food. Um, And like, it's all very scary, but like, I don't know what to say because when I look at the macroeconomic landscape and like lay out all the graphs in front of me, there's some very, very extreme problems that like, I don't see any plausible way to resolve in addition to like everyone else that I know is like a smart dude who understands this stuff is pretty much saying the same stuff. So I think it is going to get a lot worse. Um, But like the silver lining is, is that like, you know, we're going to get to that like hard times are going to create strong men. And so like, I really hope that 
by the time 2032 is here, like there is going to be a new group of people of, you know, strong men that are going to be moving and changing the world in thoughtful and powerful ways that will return us back to good times. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. So Eric, just to finish off last question, anything got you excited in Bitcoin project wise, uh, protocol level wise, what has you excited? What do you keep your eye on lightning? Any of that stuff? Uh, well, funny enough right now I'm, I'm, setting up my lightning node. So like, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing around with that. Uh, I think the foundation app's really cool. I'm not like, this is the stuff that I'm pretty interested in and how it's going to play out. Cause you know, being able to send boosts and other stuff is powerful and cool. Um, the thing I'm most keyed up on is, is keeping an eye on the hash rate. How, despite the fact of what's going on, it still is going up and to the right. Uh, and even more important than that is like, there's all kinds of energy producers that are getting involved now. And so, uh, Maybe it was a, I think it was Marty who said it. Like the question is, is like, is the Bitcoin mining industry going to become the energy industry? Or is the energy industry going to become the Bitcoin mining industry? And mm. these developments that are going on around that, I find super exciting and interesting because I think it's so underappreciated the fact that energy that you had no conceivable way of using before you can now use. And I actually think like that, to go back to the, the 2032 question, I'm like, I think this is how we're actually going to get citadels is I actually think somebody is going to find, you know, like an extremely powerful geothermal well out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And it's pretty much going to be like, all right, like we're going to build a city here. You like move here. We're, we're like, you just get free fucking power. You can do whatever you want with it. And so like now all these different industries are going to be like, Hey, like let's go set up our steel mill at, you know, this new Bitcoin citadel. And, you know, yeah, an even more exciting one for me is like a weapons manufacturer will be like, yeah, like, let's go, like, we can use the steel <laughs> mill to like build all of our weapons here and, you know, develop this stuff pretty, pretty inexpensively compared to the rest of the world. Um, and to be clear, like, I just think guns are really cool and fun, you know, like it, it's likewise, <laughs> uh, it's great to, to feel the ability to defend yourself, but it's also just fucking fun to go shoot with your friends and stuff, you know? And, and I think, I, I hope to live in a world where a lot of people feel the same way, mostly so that not only do I feel safer, but that I know, you know, these other people understand and respect weapons as well, and that they're not going to act like they're these crazy, dangerous things that are just going to leap up and shoot people in the head, you know? Yeah. The fact that during the Rittenhouse trial, the, that, that prosecutor, you know, pointed the gun at people with his finger on the trigger, that's terrifying, and it's clear that he had never dealt with a weapon before. So no finger discipline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, so, so there know. is some hope. I, I was able to extract some hope in the, in the 2032 logic with the next question. There, there is some hope. We got Citadel, infinite energy, weapons being manufactured. That sounds great. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, look like the, the rise of the remnant class of Bitcoiners who are going to get through these hard times. Like it's going to be cool. Like it's going to be super cool. Uh, yeah. And like, I think all of these really great cultural things come out of it. Cause like, I think there's going to be secret Bitcoin or psychedelic parties, which may or may not already be happening. Oh, yeah. um, and that, that like, these are going to become the, well, like, you know, part of it is going to be like, these are actual religious ceremonies that people do with each other to, to create sets of private keys, quorums of multi-sig, you know, like, like you will have your Bitcoin priest that you go to when like your dad dies and you go, Hey, like, my father died and he like left me one of these keys and, and like the priest is like, ah, oh, yes. Like let, let me summon the other key holders who like 
you know, fly <laughs> yeah. to that place and they're like the old friends friend. of your dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, hey man, like, sorry your dad died, but we're gonna like pass it, you know, his Bitcoin wealth onto you now with this like secret ritual where like you're gonna eat like eight grams of mushrooms and see God <laughs> and like take the oath that like you'll keep his wealth in Bitcoin. Um, uh, yeah, it. there's gonna be cool stuff. It's just going through the darkness is gonna be kind of lame. Gotcha. Fair enough. Um, I reckon this is a fantastic combo, man. Please, hopefully it's not the last time. Definitely friend of the show. You come back whenever you please. Uh, but let the listeners know where they can get all your knowledge, your information, and wherever else you want to send them. Yeah, best place is uh, just hit me up on Twitter. It's my name, Eric Kaysen. Uh, and if you want to check out my essays and writings, you can find those at cryptosovereignty.org. Uh, there's a link in my Twitter profile as well. Uh, feel free to shoot me DMs, make comments on my feed. I, I'm always happy to reflect and talk with people more. Um, and also, I'm I'm working on trying to get a book out of a lot of my, you know, it's just a compilation of all of my essays that I've already had. Um, and in all honesty, like the work that I'm doing now, I'm kind of working on the book that comes after that. And I'm much, I don't want to say I'm more excited about that, but I feel like all of the work I've done has been sort of this coalescing to get to this place that now I feel like uh, there's a much more profound philosophical message that I'm working on, which more or less is that like Bitcoin is messianic, but it's messianic in a philosophical way. It's sort of this event of humanity returning to the truth as a global collective who can all see and understand it, utilizing a new higher resolution language vis-a-vis cryptography. So, uh, yeah. Today, it's always a pleasure. Um, please give all of my love to family at the Unching Gang. And uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's an exciting ride. Uh, I will see you next month in Austin, I hope. BBB? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I haven't got my ticket. I ain't going to lie, but I think I'll sneak in. I'm going to be moving out to Austin in the next few weeks. And then once I'm in town, there's no damn way in hell I'm going to miss that conference. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd best hang out out front and harass people. So Yeah, <laughs> true, true. All right. Uh, appreciate it, Eric. Can't wait to get my hands on the book uh, whenever it gets released. If you want me to beta read that book, I'll be more than happy to be a guinea pig. Uh, for the listeners, go follow Eric. Amazing stuff if you haven't heard so in this conversation. If you want to support the show, and actually we're going to get Eric a 5% split here. So if you support anything that Eric was saying here in this conversation, please check us out on our preferred apps, two Podcast 2.0 apps. Fountain is our favorite. Breeze is really good, but there's a ton of other ones. Go check them out. Uh, and show love to the show. If you want to get this 4K content, Bitcoin TV is the place to go. And if you haven't gone to the Bitcoin standard yet and you support us on the legacy outlets, Apple, all that good stuff, that's okay too. Just rate, share, subscribe. That gets us up to the algorithm so other people could get this value. Eric, I appreciate your time here. And for you folks, I'll catch y'all next week. Later. <laughs>